Movies entertain. Entertainment leads to emotions. Those emotions connect us to our enjoyment of film. And that is why we exist, to focus more on the emotional connection than the technical merit. Because every movie makes us feel something. Welcome everyone to another episode of the Feelin' Film Podcast, where we go in depth on a movie each and every week. For this conversation, I'll be your lead counsel, Aaron White, and here with me on the bench to talk about director Maggie Betts' courtroom drama, The Burial, is my faithful companion, Patrick. Objection, leading the coast. Oh, uh, overruled. <laughs> I'm going to be the judge. Okay. <laughs> judge and the leading attorney. Yeah. Okay. That would, that would definitely get things. To, I'm going to be the jury, too. So, okay. you know what? Just take it all. Going to get all. my way. That's yeah. going to happen. That's fine. <laughs> now, it was just about a year ago, Patrick, that we covered all of John Grisham's filmography and A Few Good Men. <laughs> so, uh, we love a good legal thriller, and we are due for another one of these. And we tend to really enjoy them, so I hope that you're excited to find out where we think that this stacks up, dear listener. As always, we'll be spoiling everything, so if you have not done so already, you can fire up The Burial on Amazon Prime Video and give it a watch before listening. One other quick note, if you're curious as to why I've got this whole beautiful pastel background going on, it's because I just came back from, that's right, that's right, was at Taylor Swift all <laughs> afternoon. I'm in my dad era. That's what I'm in. Uh, era. And it was incredible, uh, as pretty much everybody should expect. So if you've not gotten a chance to check out the Eras tour movie, I highly recommend it. I'm not doing a review on that movie because it's a concert film and it would just be me basically ranking the set list or something and Arguing, you know, arguing with myself over which of Taylor's outfits I found to be the best, which was all of them. So anyway, it's amazing. It's a wonderful two hour and 45 minute experience. It's even better if your audience is singing and dancing and really engaged, I think. But highly, highly recommend. Anyway, back to legal stuff and race and insurance <laughs> issues and contract disputes. Right. Well, <laughs> to recap the main plot points here, for anybody that watched this and it's been a few days before you are listening to the episode, or maybe it's weeks or even months after you've seen the movie, the main plot revolves around a man named O'Keefe, played by Tommy Lee Jones, whose family business is that he owns multiple funeral homes in Mississippi. I think he owns about eight of them in real life. This is based on a true story. Can't remember exactly how many there are in the movie. But he also would sell a funeral insurance out of his own funeral homes that he owned. Well, he gets into some trouble with state regulators and is concerned about his ability to pass down this legacy, this family business to the people that come after him, his grandchildren in particular. And in order to save the business, he ends up connecting with this man named Ro Lowen, of the Lowen Group, who is a Canadian who also is in the funeral home business. And he agrees to buy up like three or four or whatever of O'Keefe's funeral homes in order to keep him from going under. And along with that, they kind of make a gentleman's agreement when they meet that Ray Lowen will not sell his own insurance in these funeral homes. That contract is never signed, I believe, is how it goes for Lowen. He never actually puts pen to paper, and things start to go poorly, and so it gets to the point where O'Keefe is going to sue him, and that's pretty much what our film is about, is the trial, and him suing Lowen for this breach of contract and the revelations that kind of come out of that regarding Lowen's behavior and treatment of people in the South. Patrick, what did you think kind of overall of this? Uh, did it hit that John Grisham mark for you? Did it kind of scratch that itch or not so much? Well, it definitely started out like a John Grisham story, complete with taking place in the South, the nice music, the jazzy whatever. And I was like, okay, this is like John Grisham if he didn't write a book turned movie. But it felt more like, the client in terms of like what I expected versus what I got. And 
you know, coincidentally, Tommy Lee Jones is in both of those. I think that it, the way that I describe this movie is I feel like it makes a mountain out of a molehill because of some of the things that are explored for the sake of exploration versus the actual interest of the case. Uh, there's a there's an interesting moment in the film where one of the witnesses is talking about contract law and the camera pans across all these jurors who are incredibly bored. And that's not how I felt. I didn't feel bored talking about this, but I felt like this was kind of the expression of okay, this story doesn't hold a lot of water. It wouldn't really have a lot of interest. So let's apply what was an undertone, the racial side of things, and let's really blow that up. Let's really sort of put some thumbs to it. Uh, there was another scene where you have, um, I think it's uh, Willie Gary's talking to members of the the black, I don't know what it's called, the the Southern black uh, ba- the ba- Southern Baptist National, uh, National Baptist Convention. Thank it's you. Like yeah, the I, I, Black National Baptist Convention, but they don't ever use the word "black" in front of it, so it's kind of confusing. Because you and I, yeah, know about Southern Baptist Convention, and I was confused yeah. the whole movie. I was like, "Wait a second, why is it all black? It's not yeah. all, but it's it is a specifically black the Black Baptist National Convention, right? Yeah. And so there's a scene that takes place where Willie's talking to one of the guys about after they discovered that whole thing, and he takes him on this tour of this this beautiful like field and he said this is a cemetery it doesn't have headstones because of the fact that it's got buried slaves and history has been put on top of history and at that point i'm thinking okay what story is being told here because we've gotten away from jeremiah o'keefe and the contract law and i get it it's not flashy it's not a willie gary uh (laughs) case (laughs) And so for me, and my wife, uh, she she watched about half of it before she decided to go to bed, and she kind of said the same thing. Only after only watching out, she goes, "It was kind of totally weird. Like it seemed like it was supposed to be a comedy and a drama." And I was like, "Yeah, well, that yeah, definitely that's what it's listed." And so there were times when I felt like, "Am I supposed to be laughing at this part, or am I supposed to be taking it seriously?" Because there were like humorous moments that were supposed to be intentionally funny. And then they were juxtaposed a scene later with like, okay, there's some like somber music here and I'm supposed to be caring deeply about this character, about what's going on. And so it really felt like it was a sort of a not so subtle heart grab on the things that are pretty sensitive to us in 2023, race relations and things like that, wrapped up in a John Grisham-esque story that doesn't, to me, have a compelling like law part of it too. Like it, it wasn't a compelling courtroom drama. It was a compelling performance piece by several actors. But if you'd put this in a different setting, if you'd put it in, I don't know what other kind of way, these characters probably could have lived just as equally. What bothers me is that this is based off of true events. And I was like, oh, well, you know, I mean, I guess this really happened. And then I read in the end credits, you know, based on an article by so-and-so. I'm like, wait, no. So this isn't a book. This isn't like an extent. And you come to find out that there are some liberties taken with the story. And you're getting the essence of what it brings. And I'm, I'm fine with that. Uh, look, we've gone on record saying biopics don't have to be completely true. You can make up characters. You can have composite characters. You can amplify ideas. Totally fine. Didn't think it worked here. So for me, it was kind of a, eh, okay. Um, definitely in the lower range of a John Grisham-esque one. Felt I got some Rainmaker vibes to it. Like little guy takes down big company. Big company goes bankrupt. Like I think this happened in 95. Only it happened to Rudy Baylor and, and, and an insurance company as opposed to, uh, you know, well, another insurance company, you know, and not Canadian. So at that point. Yeah. It sounds like we had a very similar experience then because- I agree. I thought that the performances were really strong. The director I've read had said specifically that this was a Jamie Foxx film. She envisioned him in it from the very beginning in this role, and she kind of filled it out around him. That makes sense. He is fantastic. He's perfect as this Willie Gary character. Um, It reminds me a lot of, and I'm going to mess up, I don't remember his name, but it reminds me a lot of his character, uh, of uh, Cuba Gooding Jr.'s character in... Jerry Maguire. Oh, yeah. Um, from, a, from a performance standpoint, just from the way he carries himself. 
Mm-hmm. And it's boisterous, it's entertaining, and for me, he's the you know central figure of the film, as he should be. The Jesse Smollett character, Mame Downey, as the opposing attorney, that is a fictionalized character. So what this really was, uh, back in the original case, was you know, a white attorney and two white attorneys, really, that were, you know, going up against each other. And yes, Willie Gary was involved. Um, he was on the team. But this changes it up to be two black attorneys <laughs> trying a case or fighting over a case of a bunch of white guys with a dispute, right? <laughs> a bunch of white guys who own stuff and, and black people that are are doing the job of defending and prosecuting them, essentially. And uh, and I thought that that was really interesting on the surface. Like you said, I understand why I believe this is from the 90s, like the mid-90s. Yeah. So I get it. Like Racial undertones are in this story because of what Ray Lowen was doing. He was intentionally taking advantage of the Black National Baptist Convention in order to target these underprivileged communities by having people that looked like them, people from their own church, sell them inflated insurance so he can make more money off of people that were already poor, which is really crappy, but not really illegal. And I lost sight somewhere during this case of the fact that this is about a contract dispute. What what are we trying here? Are we trying his character? His character sucks. Is that illegal? No. But like, I felt like in the end, it almost was that that is what got, he got convicted of being bad character, not because he didn't sign the contract. I was a little bit lost. Yeah. This is one of the biggest issues I had with this. And this is coming from a guy who, like you, think that A Few Good Men is probably one of the best courtroom dramas out there. Because throughout the case in A Few Good Men... The actual, evi- the actual case itself is not lost. There's character issues, and in the climax of the film, there is a character issue that comes about in a way that is become synonymous. You can't handle the, tr- you know, just really, you need me on that wall. I mean, it, it's what prompts such a great speech, just a great dialogue between two characters. There were times, Aaron, where when when Mame comes in and she's just ripping, um, I think it's Alan Ruck's character, uh, Mike Allred, to shreds by going after his grandfather. And and then later on, Willie's like, well, he says, you can't blame me for something my grandfather did. And I'm like, amen, sir. You're not your grandfather. You can't forget about your past. And, and that kind of gets smashed at the end, which prompts all the lawyers except Willie to leave. I felt like that was a little bit melodramatic. And then contrast that with, with uh, Willie when he's interviewing Ray, when he's, when he's crossing Ray and he talks about how much did you pay for your boat? Just no, tell me how much. And he goes off on this tangent and loses the courtroom. Like it's, it's just, it's a, it's a, it all gets stricken for the record. This is, this yeah. is one of my biggest gripes in any legal movie is when yes. the, the whole point that gets made within the trial is something that is not even admissible, but then it, it actually matters. Yes. It's like that's that's not how the law should work. <laughs> that's no, because opposite. you can't you can't unsee something, you can't unhear something. And so what what I found was that there was there was very little realism when it came to cross-examination, when it came to getting up to witness. Like at one point, he goes, he comes up to him and he goes, Let me ask just one more question. And I'm thinking, you didn't ask to approach the witness, sir. So you don't know, you don't know courtroom law. And that's, I know it's so anal to think that way, but when you're doing courtroom drama, you have to understand the rules. You have to understand the permission that you have. Just like when you do a time travel movie, you don't just say, we're going back in time, set your rules and stick to them. Courtroom dramas have certain things that have to happen. You can have a boisterous lawyer, but if you have a boisterous lawyer who is testifying with a pro with a, a defendant who is saying objection, 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 and the judge rare you don't even hear the judge say overruled. You've lost, like you've lost me as an audience because I'm like this isn't real. This is not real courtroom drama. It's just a guy who, as set up at the beginning of the film, 
is just being extemporaneous, except from a pulpit, he's doing it from a bench. He's doing it from a table. And to me, that's not appealing because the point of courtroom drama is that it's a courtroom and that you're actually using the rules set in place as opposed to just saying, you know what, instead of like 50 people behind you cheering praise God, like in a church, you just got people behind you who are just like, you know, smiling, whatever. That's why, you know, early on, I thought it was funny when he was doing his long closing argument for that dude and he ended up with, you know, green light, you know, it wasn't his fault because of that. And you had everybody just, and I'm like, uh, contempt of court, contempt of court. You can't do that. It's just, it seems so unrealistic to me. And it threw me for the rest of the film because I was like, is this how the courtroom drama is going to be? Just a big kind of party of verbal, like whatever. Yeah. I, so that scene for the record is my favorite scene in the movie, which is a problem because it's the first scene in the movie. And that's never good when, when your favorite. I was actually going to ask you if you had any favorite move, moments of somebody like on the stand. And for me, that was the moment. It was that I thought that was the the most smartly written part of the whole film was him. It showed a personal injury lawyer in the way that we think of them. They're not necessarily, I wouldn't say a snake because Willie Gary's a good person, but he was very clever and careful and calculated about the wording he was using and his ability to twist a situation where his uh, client was drunk into him winning on a technicality and he's right on the technicality so he is smart you should you learn that but you also learn that he's willing to do anything to get his win because that's what matters to him anyway I, I love that moment but I agree with you like it doesn't quite translate and for me I think the biggest part of that and problem that the movie has is that it's so focused on making this point about race and the the under the use and, and abuse of underprivileged people the case is not interesting to me at all like there's nothing so what so somebody breached a contract who gives a crap honestly like this is not movie material i mean i can't, i the empathetic part of my human humanity cares right but like, I don't want to watch two plus hours of us getting to the point. There's no mystery. This is where it's not John Grisham. It's not a few. There's nothing that is revealed that is interesting. There's no like we're gonna find out the secret within the truck. No, <laughs> none of that happens. There's nothing. No surprise here, and it and it's really drug out to to get to this point. And I felt like. You know, Maggie, the director, Betts, I, I, she really, to me, wanted to make a film that talks is a drama and talks about race in the South and race at this time period. And that's fine. That would have been fine. But I just did not feel like this was a great vehicle to do. It could have been. It could have been a great vehicle if you would have had it be like a true 50-50 situation where there was a case that was actually being explored and was and had us riveted wondering who did what and what was going to come out and where was it going to end and on top of that one element was oh and also on in addition to all of this you've got to deal with the race stuff but instead it was like only thing that mattered was the the color of the attorneys and what this guy one one thing he did like it's not like he was he was being a, a terrible owner of his insurance uh, kind of fraud. I would say I don't know if it was fraud, but like the way he handled selling his own insurance. It wasn't just the National Baptist Convention like he did this across hundreds and hundreds of funeral homes in the United States. This is just one piece that you're like highlighting and focusing on and trying to make him into a villain for this one specific thing. So it yeah. kind of lost me there. Well, I think, I think for me in a similar way, I, I asked myself the question, what if Ray Lone was black? Like I would wonder how this story would play out because it would take away that racial aspect. He would just be an entrepreneur who was probably doing shady crap to people by taking advantage of them because you can be poor and black and you can be poor and white, and you can be rich and black, and you can be rich and white. As Willie Gary has shown us, you can 
pick yourself up by your bootstraps and become wealthy and successful. That's the other thing that I think was being made opposite this. I almost felt like you have Ray Lowen is the antithesis of Willie Gary in this film in terms of characters. You have a, a, a guy in Willie Gary who it said on more than one occasion grew up in the fields, getting up at 4.30, working in fields that were taller than him. And, and I admire that. I think that's amazing. And, and the life that he has made for himself to be so successful is fantastic. If all this is true, I'm looking at Willie Gary and I'm going, you're doing not really shady things, but you're finding ways to get a ton of money. Like if you're kind of, if you're trying to make me sympathetic towards Willie Gary, don't tell me that a lawsuit of 50 million or 8 million is too little. Okay. That's egotistical and greedy. If you're really a man of the people, if you really do care about that. Now, I know that over the course of the film, part of his journey is, you know, he and he and Jerry became really good friends and maybe he learned something. It's it it kind of reeks of after school special to me. Like, ah, the guy <laughs> is, you know, he's learning something and now he's redeemable. But if we take it on the surface, he is just as much of a profiteering guy as Ray Lowen is. And he's taking advantage of a system that can afford it, as opposed to Ray Lowen, who's taking advantage of a system that, that can't afford it. And that's fine to call out those things. But to your point, let's look at it in the entire context, because Ray Lowen could be a more interesting guy than just the dude who attacked Mississippi poor people. Because if he attacked all sorts of people around the U.S., this could be kind of a Canadian versus U.S. type of thing. That would be interesting. That would be pretty compelling. But I do wonder... If the color of his skin was the was an important thing, what would the cross look like? What would the testimony look like if he weren't? If he were a a profitable black black Canadian or black American who was on the stand, would this be as compelling? I don't think it would because of the point that the film is trying to make. Not that white people are evil, but that this thing which happened is again the mountain out of a molehill. It's important, but it's not that important. And I'm going to be very bold and say that anytime someone suffers, it's a bad thing. But in all honesty, do we care as people about a certain group at any given point? I think that's what movies allow us to do is to care about people at a certain given point. And this movie, I think, tries to do it. But for me, it just didn't work because it felt a little too forced in terms of what was trying to be told. I agree. And I, and I think that, you know, it's, it's too forced in that it also try, you said it really well, mountain out of a molehill, molehill. That's the perfect way to put it. It's, they actually, death insurance is not a bad thing. Okay. So are they getting made or expected to pay more than maybe something is fair value? Yes. That's a far, far cry from like slavery and murder and the KKK. Is it racist and targeted? Yes. Is that okay? Absolutely not. But we go back to that first point we made. It's not a courtroom drama. <laughs> That's not a courtroom thing. That's a human, you know, empathy thing. It's, I don't know. It's about, it's not, it's not meant to be just debated in this space. That's not where you're going to solve it, I should say. And, it, you know, it was just, it was, I guess the, the raw, raw moment for me, sort of comes in the sub the post text which also I dislike I don't mind having the information there in fact I quite like getting the like results of a story anytime we have these true stories but I was reading through and it, and it tells us like this is when I felt like okay this is wholesome because they get 500 million dollars in this settlement so they get a hundred million dollars that they wanted that Lowen was un unwilling to settle for in another way melodramatic scene, by the way, where they like pass a note, they're sitting around a table and I'm like, why would you do this? Why, why would you like pass the note and then look at it and be like, nah, let me scribble down and uh, uh, come back and like, uh, you know, here now look at my note. Okay. Will you go with my note? Come on, use your voices. Like this is like so childish, the scene. But anyway, they end up getting $500 million in damages and low end appeals. And gets it knocked down to like 175 
instead of four or 500. Ends up resigning two years later. That's great. Didn't need to be in charge. And less than a year later, they, his company goes bankrupt. Okay, I'm good. That's cool. Good to see that happen. I think that was probably earned. But then it, the part I like is it says Jerry and Anna O'Keefe created a charitable foundation to benefit the socially disadvantaged. And more than 40% of grants have gone to black American groups. That is more in line with the story that it wanted to tell about these people that it brings up who are being disadvantaged. But like, why is all, we're, if all we're getting is just, you're going to tell us that in the subtext, like, why isn't this a biopic about Jerry O'Keefe? You know what I mean? Versus a lawsuit, the driving factor of it. It's a, it's a strange vehicle for me. Yeah. And one that I found so conflicted because I did enjoy the characters enough that it, it had me mildly invested mm -hmm. uh, for a while. Well, I think some of it has to do with the fact that there's a scene between Willie and Mame who she's having dinner. And I love the scene. Uh, and, I, and I'm just, uh, I adore uh, Jeremy Smollett. She, I've loved her since Friday Night Lights. She's got sass all over her. And I, I really, I wanted to see her live up to her nickname. I think of the Cobra or something like that because she because she strikes on cross so it's like well. the python or the python that's what it is python yeah. because yeah because because willie comes back and says i'm a boa constrictor i'm gonna you know whatever <laughs> and it was just it was set up to be such a great kind of back and forth type thing and a couple of times they did that where in their opening statements he was making s s statements and they were crossing it over to her and i love that i i love the kind of back and forth because it set him up as equals but i think the reason why this was not a jeremiah o'keefe biopic is what you mentioned earlier. Willie Gary's character was vaulted above what his actual like impact was. And the scene between them in the bar of the hotel, when it shifts over to Johnny Cochran doing, you know, if it doesn't fit, you must quit. Now we've got this motif put in our head of like, ah, okay. So we're looking at like the Mississippi version of Johnny Cochran, and that's what he wants to be. And at the very end, it just gets bookended where she's like, Johnny would be proud. And I'm like, he sure would if you were that real, you know, because this is not this is not who he is. Like, I, I don't know. OK, I say that. I don't know who Willie Gary is. But the fact that you're putting him front and center when he really wasn't lead counsel at all, like he got pulled back and then. I don't know if all that fallout happened, but you're because you're amplifying Jamie Foxx's character, Willie Gary, you have to diminish somebody else. And it can't be a Jeremiah O'Keefe biopic because Willie Gary would be a supporting character. And that's not to say that, well, she didn't respect Jerry, his character. It had to be. But in fact, it had to be about Willie Gary because this was really a Willie Gary story, not a Jerry O'Keefe. And I don't think that's doing a, a great service to the story that Jerry was a central figure in. When he said, like when, when, uh, when Mame crosses him and brings up the whole thing about the bad business decision that led to a dude going to jail, I was like, wait a minute, let's talk about that. That's interesting. And if we got a story leading all the way up to him getting into that, making a bad business decision, and then going to court, and then we have some some other stuff happened that leads to, oh gosh, this big decision. His life story, that biopic aspect would have been more interesting to me because he's been through more ups and downs. And it would have diminished Jamie Foxx's character. I get that. That's not the story you're telling. But to me, I think it would have felt more whole. This felt more shoehorned. Like the 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 O'Keefe story is a shoehorned like mechanism to get Willie Gary to be loud and like flashy. That's kind of where I was left. Yeah. And Willie Gary doesn't do anything interesting. I mean, I, I'm sorry, but like he doesn't wow us in any way. We just talked about that, how the first opening scene is his biggest moment. Something else that was like really strange to me watching a legal drama was there's no closing statements. I mean, this is the, I was, I was like, upset i was like come on now what are we doing here this is the biggest moment i i get if you're if you, you can't give me two plus hours of this movie and then tell me 
now I'm going to try to be artsy and not formulaic. No, no, like, give me the moment. Give me Willie Gary making the point of winning people over as to why this case should end the way it ends. Don't just cut to black and then give me the result of, okay, cool, we won. I just, I was, I felt a little bit off. I'd read a lot of takes about this and people calling it a very normal crowd-pleasing and rousing legal drama. And I was left completely the opposite of rousing because of this. I was like, no, there's no rousing moment here at all. You took it away from me. Instead, you just kind of gave it to me in the, the text as the credit right before the credits rolled. Yeah, it got me thinking a lot about the closing statements not being there. I, I, I'm in the same way. That's your exclamation point. I was a huge fan of the practice when it was on, um, I think it was ABC. It's on Hulu now, so I'll catch it occasionally. And it's a fantastic procedural thing because it's basically good courtroom drama wrapped up in you know 45 minutes weekly. But the closing statements are always the thing. And they're the thing that, because for a jury, that's what you're left with. I would be curious how long the jury deliberated for this particular like decision. I would venture to guess because there are no closing statements, they didn't deliberate for long. Because the movie is set up to show us that they've already made their decision when when uh, I think it's when when Ray Lowen basically doesn't admit that his boat costs two hundred million dollars. And when the I guess his right hand man or whoever it was said that they donated two hundred K to the to the group and didn't, you know, and they made two billion dollars off of them. I was like, oh well you've sold me already. There's nothing that's gonna tell me any differently what the jury's gonna decide. Because when you set this up as a, a as a race-driven courtroom drama, you haven't given me the other side that says, hmm, is there anything about Jerry that's a little nefarious besides the fact that he made a bad business decision? See, that, that's where I was really left frustrated is after we get that, quote, bombshell of like, oh my gosh, he was in business with a bad guy. One scene later, he's justifying it. He was like, I didn't know that he was, he wasn't in prison when we had that conversation. He's since been in prison. I didn't, that wasn't my fault. And you're right. You're Jerry. You're absolutely right. And that whole conversation with him and Willie outside where he's like, you didn't fight for me. You didn't tell me this stuff was like, I'm like, Jerry, you're absolutely right. You know, he did not prepare you. And I get that that's sort of part of Willie's journey of like, I need to lose my ego, but I didn't believe it enough to really feel like there was an equal amount of like, if you didn't have crosses, I, I need to have a 50, 50, like, what would I decide? Like, but because I'd already decided, you know, Ray Lowen's a bad guy. That, that white Canadian, he's a bad guy. Nothing ever told me that he was any less than he was. So it didn't surprise me that they came back with a verdict of guilty. And I hated that negotiating scene. I really did. Because it's a crappy, it is a crappy business decision. It's revealed that Lowen was going to give this dude $75 million. If you go back to the original argument, his virtue, his character, Jerry's character is like, listen, I just want to be made whole. Give me damages. I want to take care of my family. And somehow Willie Gary has convinced him, no, you need to take down the man. We need to take him out. Well, okay. So they award him $500 million to which it gets knocked down to 175. It's still a year or two or three before they go bankrupt. It, he's not, this is not the rainmaker. It's not like they immediately have to file for bankruptcy. Once, if, if, it's, if it's me, I'm looking at this. And in the rainmaker, they give all the money away. That's the, that's the difference. Like, it's... Well, no, they would. See, the, the, in the Rainmaker, spoiler alert, they win the settlement, but immediately the insurance company goes bankrupt, so they can't pay that enormous right. settlement. That settlement. Their plan was to give it away. Absolutely, and, yeah. And that's different than taking it and setting up a foundation and giving a little bit of it away. <laughs> yeah, but, and so, but the point being, I think, for me, is that not that you should try to get as much money as possible, but you now 
to me, the virtue and the character of Jerry is lost when he's like, I want to take you down because you're a bad guy. I'm like, yeah, he is. But you're not the giant killer, dude. <laughs> you're not. You're one town. You're one guy out of many. And I, you know, kudos to you for beating him. But aside from just bad character decisions, he didn't do anything illegal. And I can't really fault the guy for being shady. I wouldn't do that. And I think it's always good. But the thing is, Aaron, I was thinking about this the whole way through. It's like, listen, watch these lawyers from both sides. They are, they are devaluing characters all over the place. Like, I think it's, um, who is it? Is it, I think it's Mame who goes after and says, oh yeah, you know, whoop whoop de doo he, he denied a permit to the Ku Klux Klan. I'm like, I think that's a big deal. <laughs> I think that that's something. And then she turns around and starts defaming uh, Mike Allred for having a grandfather who is in the Klan that's not even connected to him necessarily. It's, it's so, it's so inconsistent with like, okay, do you value character over other things? And if you do, how far back does a person's character have to be defamed in order for his current like persona to go down the toilet? I found that really, really just frustrating because it's like, when are you not guilty? Like you're going to find something in the past. If I go on the stand, you're going to find something in the past, not related to what I'm on the stand for. And that's going to defame me because I wasn't perfect when I was 16 years old. I wasn't perfect when I was 24 years old. And it's, it just frustrates me because it feels like a cheap shot, especially in a courtroom drama, when the facts are what you need to be looking at, not the emotions, not the, not the nonsense that really what this drama is showing us like, "Mm, you're not perfect. You're a jerk. You treated people badly, so you're out $500 million. And that's the message I got from all this. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I, the Mike Allred part of it, you just brought him up briefly or mentioned him, and I was thinking about this, and his character arc wasn't fully satisfying for me either because he was set up well from the very beginning to be the classic ingrained bigot in the South. The first time we see him, he calls Mamadou Athi's character son. And I, and I actually noted it well before the movie brought it up. He did it a couple times and I was like, man, you're that guy. But he is never outright racist, right? He he makes that comment and he acts surprised that he is a lawyer. But then he is seemingly accepting of everyone around him when they come in. And he is called out for his bigotry, point blank, to which he, was, I think he says he's he's like, I'm, I'm working on that or something. Hmm. At one point during that whole, it's during that whole grandfather's not a Ku Klux Klan and everybody decides to leave and walk out on uh, Willie Gary's team. But I just didn't feel like he was created as this character. And I was like, okay, give me an arc with him. Where's his arc going? Like, is he... Is he going to learn something from this experience? He's working with all of these African-American attorneys that are clearly knowledgeable and smart. Is he going to confront these, you know, long-held ingrained beliefs in the way of behaving that he has and change for the better? And we never find that out. And it was kind of like, I guess in real life, that's realistic. But in a movie, (laughs) I want... A resolution. I want to know if you're giving me that character with the intention of using him to prove a point. You've got to you've got to kind of go all the way, one way or the other. You've got to show yeah. me that he can change, or show me that he was not ever able to change because it was just too tough for him. Because that's how he became, that's how he grew up. Like, but don't right. just use it as a point to make, and then walk away from it and just drop it. And I felt like that's kind of how this was handled it was like a lot of these little ideas and it just is not tight enough yeah one of the scenes that bothered me was right after right before they crossed him he was i guess he had taken over his lead counsel and he said something i don't remember who he was talking to but it had to do with he made some kind of like racial comment and at the end of it he said, sorry, withdrawn. I was doing this. 
and he said something to the judge like, but I do take attention. Uh, I do take objection to her tone. And she's like, oh, what? And then the next scene is this back and forth where she's just ripping on him with her lawyers at the same time, cutting to footage of him just laughing with all the other lawyers that are on his team. Like it's, it's the, it's the most bizarre thing because she's making fun of him. And then the scene later, she goes off on his grandfather being a Klansman. And so in my head, here's what I'm seeing. Mame, you're stupid at this point because clearly he doesn't have an issue working with black people. He doesn't have an issue. Like he's gotten to know these folks and without context, I just assume that he's not prejudiced because he hasn't had an arc to say, I had a problem with you, but now I don't. Yes, there was that one moment with, uh, with Hal where he calls him son. So I get that. But clearly he doesn't have an issue and nothing has shown me otherwise apart from those couple of things. And I think for me where I get bothered is that it doesn't feel like it's more than one perspective. I know that that's okay sometimes. It's okay to have a biased vantage point. But it's difficult when you, when you can't show me anything virtuous about the other side in order to give me a good contrast. So I think about Aaron Sorkin, who has very liberal viewpoints as a person. And that comes out in a show like The West Wing. But in my opinion, while it's very, very heavily democratic, heavily on the liberal side of things, he paints a picture of Republicans and conservative vantage points in a way that aren't as strong, but are still somewhat equal to make his point, to kind of show both sides. Like he's not creating a debate necessarily. He's definitely leaning more into his personal viewpoints. And that's fine. Write what you know. But he allows for the opportunity to be able to say, hey, but think about this. This was an actual argument here. Newsroom does the same thing. You've got Will McAvoy, who is a character who leans more heavily into the Republican side, but is able to sort of argue on the liberal standpoint. Sometimes it bothers me because I think, it, again, that's the Sorkin-esque thing where he's trying to give you the Republican viewpoint, but it's more of a middle Republican. In, in this story, I feel like it's one-sided. And that's what makes it tough because, again, courtroom drama compels me to hear both sides. I am the juror at that point. I need to be able to go, hmm, I don't know what's, what's what. I need to hear all the facts. And, and that's why a movie like 12 Angry Men really works because you have both sides being played out over the course of 90 plus minutes as opposed to this, which feels more like, listen, we're going to tell you our side of the story and we're going to tell you how bad the other side is. Whatever the reasons are, we're going to get into that. But there's no way to really kind of flesh that out from a opposite side standpoint. Like, I never thought that Mame was a bad person. I felt like she was the hero in this, which made it weird because, or a hero in here, because she was calling out things that are bad. But it was confusing because we're supposed to be obviously rooting for Jerry and Willie. And so it just, it made for a mess of a like, emotion. I was like, I don't know really who the bad guy or who the good guy is here. And in some movies, that's supposed to be a good thing. In this one, it's not because it's, it really does tell you at the beginning, this is the bad guy and we're going to make it look like he's the bad guy, but we're also going to give you some confusing people over here. So it looks like it's got some nuance. And I just think it was without nuance. Yeah. Yeah. I I agree. I do like that at the end, yeah, I do. I I get why she wanted director wanted to use Jesse Smollett and create her as this like strong, powerful uh, black female attorney. And I enjoyed the character a lot. I like love watching her act, like you said. And I liked that at the end, she basically tells Willie, she's like, "I'm fine. Like I, <laughs> it's I'm good. Like I'm not gonna think another second about this. Like I don't care one bit." win or lose. I'm going to be just okay and move on. And I'm a strong woman and I'm going to continue being a great attorney. And I thought that that was great versus a lot of times the losing attorney is treated. I think this is kind of where you're coming from is like where she is more treated like also a hero because in the end, both attorneys are against <laughs> the, the guy Ray Lowen. Um, so yeah, it, it is just, it's a weird, it's a weird, thing to do as a courtroom movie it just doesn't yeah. quite hit the formula is there anything else you particularly liked about it any scenes i will point out one that i loved which was tommy lee jones 
very briefly trying to sing Tony, Tony, Tony. I thought that was phenomenal uh, when Willie Gary turns on that music and tries to teach him and get him involved. I, I loved that small, like, friendship building piece between the two of them. Yeah, I think for me, it was when um, when Jerry meets Willie's wife and he apparently Absolutely. spends he spends every Saturday with his mom, which again, we're, we're, this is the first time we're getting a humanization of a guy. You know, if you own your own 737, it's kind of hard to bring it at my level. But I really like that scene where she says, let me get my keys. He's like, no, no, I don't want to, I don't want to impose that. I, you family, you know, and she takes him out there and they have a conversation and he finds out that, you know, he's had 13 children and that Willie is one of like 12 or something like that. Number seven. It, it was just, it's nice because it it creates that human element that Willie behind the gold and behind the planes, like he 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 comes from salt of the earth roots. You know, he he is a, he's a human being, just like Jerry is, and and I, I like that. Um, I wanted to see more of that. I think that their friendship is somewhat compelling because it says at the at the end credits that they remained friends for a long time and. It kind of, it made me, for some reason, I kept thinking of Andy Dufresne and his his buddy Red, you know, just they're hanging out at Zawataneo, just have making, you know, building boats and stuff like that. So I, I think there is, the movie left me wanting for a lot of things that I think could have been fleshed out a little bit more because there were pockets of like, that's interesting or that's interesting, but they were all sort of means to a an end that, while I believe is virtuous, it wasn't really interesting as a story. Yeah. Same here. And I, the other one I liked, just a, a single weird funny scene, was when Willie Gary and the team are first going into the courthouse, the very beginning to uh, the Lowen case, and he stops everybody and he's like, can't split the pole, can't split the pole. And I just thought that was a very baseball superstition-like thing for the attorney, you know, where they, they all go from this big wide shot and they slowly morph into like a vertical column so they can all go straight between the single pole and then yeah. come back wide in the end. And it just reminded me of like a pitcher who won't step on the baseline when he's right. going back to the dugout. <laughs> I was like, that was a pretty fun little like character kind of building out the way that he approaches his profession scene. Yeah. Yeah. And he's, I mean, the thing is, is that Jamie Foxx, beginning to end his performances like in the courtroom or at the beginning of the church. I love his extemporaneous nature. I, I really like the scene with, um, with him. And um, when they were, when, when Jerry was trying to explain him, here's, here's, here's what's going down. They were trying to convince him to take the case and him and his, uh, his Bernard, lawyer, I think. Just bounce him back. Yeah. And forth it's about the guy was so funny. It was great. You know, we don't do that. We don't do that. <laughs> We don't do that contract law. That's boring. We do the we do the injury, like, which again, just like you know, then why get a con? Why get a guy like that? Because you know what you're setting up is we're not going for the actual case. We're going for the for the optics of it. So did enjoy uh, also the uh, life's house of the rich and famous segment. Oh, Billy so Gary, good. <laughs> so good. Yeah, the guy, the voice that was really good. I was yes. laughing out loud when he's like, yes. "Wings of justice." The wings of justice. Like I would totally have a plane called the Wings of Justice. That, I mean, if you're an attorney, it's brilliant. Yeah. So, so true, true. Uh, you know, um, confession here. When I saw the trailer, and I saw the first, like, I guess it was probably 15 seconds of it, not knowing it was a courtroom drama. I saw the Wings of Justice, and then I saw a church scene, and I was like, Oh my gosh, is Jamie Foxx playing like a like a name it claim it preacher? Because this is going to be good. <laughs> like, and why would you call it the burial? And then I realized it was a courtroom drama. I was like. All right, well, let's see where this goes. So, but yeah, Wings of Justice, great plane, great name, and uh, aptly for for a guy like Willie Gary. That was another thread that never gets touched on. Is he a preacher or was he guest preaching? And if he's a preacher, where did that go? Like, he just on the side, he's a reverend. Like, where I don't remember it coming up ever again. Did I? Miss I think. That? I think he. So I don't know where that takes place in the timeline. That's the thing is. I thought it was it the seems like, I Well, I think it was. It's like the first but scene. Yeah. It, or no, second. Yes. Yes. It's the first scene in the movie. But I almost wonder if 
he, because of the events that take place in the movie, he's now friends with the black convention, the the oh, black Baptist, yeah. whatever. And this is his way of saying, you know, hmm, here's my here's my blackness or whatever. But I I don't know. I mean, I think he's just. I think it's just a way to show that when you contrast that with his courtroom scene, I think one scene later, he is compelling. Like the 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 translation is this is a compelling guy that holds an audience, whether it's a church or whether it's a courtroom. Right. But but yeah, it you could have started off with his closing argument in the courtroom. That would have been enough for me. I didn't really need to see this moment where he is guest speaking, preaching, whatever. Um, maybe it was for sympathy, maybe to remind us that he's a child of God or or whatever, but very much a, you know, I guess I would call it a stereotypical Southern black church experience that, you know, isn't probably accurate everywhere, but, you know, just capturing what that, what that would look like. Just very. Yeah. Anyway, just weird that, that it did ever come up as far as him being a reverend or whatever, wasn't a major part of his character development in any way after that. So, yeah. Right. So kind of a, <laughs> another loose thread for me, but that's all I've got. Yeah. That's all I have too. And, uh, this was fun and, uh, check it out. It's on Amazon prime. If you, if you choose, to, if you've listened and you haven't seen it, we haven't spoiled hopefully too much for you, except the ending and everything in between. But yeah, uh, check it out if you so desire. Next week, we're checking out Killers of the Flower Moon, Martin Scorsese's latest film. Um, I'm going to make sure to take a nap beforehand and pray for intermission. This thing is, what, three plus hours? So I'm getting my uh, getting my caffeine fix. I'm going to take a big giant tea into the theater and... Uh, uh, Aaron's going to tell me in his press screening when to go to the bathroom. So yes. I'm hoping to see that. But I know you're really excited, Aaron. And I went during so. All Too Well in the Taylor Eras Tour movie, just for anybody listening. I was dying because <laughs> it's two hours and 45 minutes long before you count the like 20 or 30 minutes of trailers. So it's also like in that three hour total range. And I was like waiting patiently. And I was like, okay, I know when they do all too, when she does all too well, I'm going to get 10 minutes because that's how long the song is. So I was able to like time it perfectly. And I, I got in and out during all too well. I got, I got to sing the beginning of it. I went during the middle when it gets a little more instrumental and I got back and was able to sing the end and back on, yeah, back in my seat. So I'm good at this. I will find you the right time for killers of a flower moon to go to the bathroom. I, I appreciate that. That's good stuff. So be looking for that next week. Uh, in the meantime, have a great one. Watch a lot of good stuff. Just enjoy it. Thanks for another great conversation, Aaron. We'll talk soon. Hey, everyone. Thanks again for listening. If you enjoy the show, we'd love to hear from you. You can leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. These help increase visibility for the show and grow our community of listeners like you. We also invite you to connect with us further by joining our ever-growing Facebook discussion group, a link to that is in the show notes, or you can just search on Facebook and find us that way. If you'd like to continue the conversation with me, you can follow the show on Twitter, at Film, or connect with me in the Facebook group. I'm very active in both places and would love to chat. And if you want to connect with me, you can find me at Shoeless Patch on both Facebook and Twitter. Be sure to tag me in any comments so that I'll be notified and not miss you. Once again, thank you for listening. We'll be back soon. Until then, stay positive. And keep feeling film.